I'm going to keep my part brief this morning. You're welcome. <laughs> we can't shake this idea that God is always going to do big things with grand, big gestures and big, obvious signs. And so we look for God in the grandest places and we're just drawn to this idea that God will use significant people and significant events to accomplish his purposes in the world. And so we look for him in the headlines, we look for him in the most visible places, we, we expect him to use the most obvious people. Right? There's a reason that the churches with the biggest worship attendance on Sunday are the churches with the most well-dressed, polished pastors, the best tech, the most polished, highly produced music, right? the ones that put on the best spectacle every Sunday morning. Sorry, y'all. Because we think if God really is the creator of the universe, the Lord of all creation, the King of kings, the Savior of us all, then we think those are the places he ought to be. And you may think that because you're here and I'm your pastor, right? And there's not a single smoke machine in sight. Uh, you might have dodged that mistake. But the truth is we all do this. We look for Jesus where we think he ought to be. We look for God to be at work in ways that we think he should be working. And that draws our eyes away from the places where he actually is. <clears throat> so we're looking at two brief passages in the Gospels. The first is Luke 1, 46 through 45. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. That's Mary's prayer after the angel tells her what's about to happen. And if you listen closely, you'll hear her explaining how God works. God doesn't work the way we do. God doesn't honor the mighty or the elite. God isn't impressed with our intelligence or our skill. Thank God. He's impressed by the humble and the lowly. What that means is he's impressed by the ones who recognize their own deep need for God. God provides for those who understand that they need him, but those who think they can take care of themselves, he sends away. And what this reveals is that our failures in life are primarily failures of relationship. We fail to maintain our covenant relationship to God. And so what God does is God then takes it upon himself to uphold our end of the covenant as well. He does it with Abraham in the covenant he made there. He does it with Noah in that covenant. He does it with Moses and the people of Israel. And now through Jesus, he's doing it with all of us. Mary gets it. She understands that God has been faithful to all of these covenants, even when his people in their pride have turned away. And now through this new covenant, he's going to make on the cross through Jesus. God will do this not just for Israel, but for all of humanity. The damage 
done to the relationship between God and humanity is so severe that the only one who can fix it is one who is both God and human. And so Jesus comes out of this story of these series of covenants that God makes with his people. And each and every time God makes the covenant, they make their arrangement. They say, I'll do this and you do this. And every single time the people fail and God does their part for them. And it all culminates in Jesus. But he's not going to be born in a palace to a queen. He won't be born to a rich family surrounded by luxury. He won't be born to people who believe they don't need God because they can provide for themselves. He won't be born to people who think they can protect themselves. He won't be born to people who are satisfied with the way the world is because their life in it is pleasant and comfortable. He's born to Mary, a nobody from a small, insignificant town in the countryside. Someone who can already grasp the significance of what God is doing and the hope that God is bringing. And someone who understands immediately that God is the one bringing salvation and her part is just to go along with his will. She understands that the covenant story of Israel is a story of God's people failing and God going to great lengths to save them every time. She understands that God upholds both ends of the deal. She gets it. She gets that God has always been the one to fulfill both sides of every covenant he has made. And see, that too is not what we expect. We failed. Jesus' birth is a sign that we failed. But it's also a sign that God won't let us go. When we can't fulfill our promises to God, when we can't uphold our end of the covenant, God steps in and does it for us. And so in Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus doesn't come from the royal city. He's not born in Jerusalem. He's born in Bethlehem. The people of Israel used to call Bethlehem Jerusalem's little sister because it's this tiny town. It's really close to Jerusalem, but it's so much smaller and less impressive. I, don't, I thought I took a picture when I was there, but I didn't. But you can see Bethlehem from Jerusalem. Even today, if you're standing in the right spot, you can see Bethlehem from Jerusalem. It's actually really just a suburb of Jerusalem now. That's how close they are. So these days, it's a Palestinian village filled with a whole lot of Palestinian Christians. And so uh, when my wife and I signed up to have dinner with a Palestinian Christian family back in January, we went to Bethlehem. And the bus ride from our hotel in Jerusalem to Bethlehem was like 10, 15 minutes. It was not long. They're very close. So Jesus is born in this tiny little village right next to the important place. Less than a thousand people in it. It existed basically for the sole purpose of feeding Jerusalem. It's one of those small towns where like, if people asked you where you're from, you'd just say Jerusalem because no one would know but where Bethlehem is. That's where the Savior was born. That's his place. Because God works through the small, the hidden, 
and the powerless. What we learn from Jesus' family story and his place of birth is that God comes to us in unexpected ways. God does not work through the powerful or the mighty or the popular. He works through the weak, through the humble, and through the ones nobody sees. God works in ways that we are not looking for. He surprises us time and time again. The Messiah didn't come as a mighty king riding on a horse at the head of an army. He came as a baby, born to a carpenter in a tiny town nobody paid any attention to. And God didn't come to give us the tools we need to fix our problems. God didn't come to condemn us for our failure to keep the covenant. God came to uphold our end of the covenant for us. He came so that by his grace we could be saved from our own weakness. So my friends, God is working in your life. God is lifting you up in the midst of your failures. He is present in your life, but you may have a hard time seeing him if you don't learn to look for him in the unexpected places. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.